This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Tonight we're going to jump into what I'm calling Unblock Your Rivers. Say it with me. Unblock your rivers. Your rivers. Rivers, plural. That's important. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of John. We're going to start in chapter 7. And we're going to begin right there in verse 37 and 38. John 7, verse 37 and 38. And here it is. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. This is Jesus speaking. And drink. Verse 38. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his or her heart will flow what? Rivers of living water. Will flow rivers of living water. Jesus makes this remarkable statement about rivers flowing forth from the heart of every believer, from the heart of every person that puts their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody tonight that's done that. And then John, the writer of of the gospel, goes on in the next verse, we don't have it for in the screen, but goes on in the next verse to give us his commentary on what Jesus is saying here. What does Jesus mean by rivers of living water? And then John tells us it's in reference to the Holy Spirit. So what John is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us is that the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine is meant to pour forth from us like raging wild rivers, like rivers. Now, I've spent a little bit of time on the river, maybe not as much as some of you, but uh, earlier this week, my wife and I went up Big Cottonwood Canyon just to have some lunch and to spend a little time together. And I noticed that all the, you know, most of the snowpack was melting and the river was starting to kind of pick up. You guys ever kind of go up there and, and watch that? And it's kind of neat how, when it starts off, because it's just heavy, right? It's big and it's starting to rush and it's like picking up steam as it heads down the mountain. And it's just, it's a neat, it's a neat reality that I think we get to live in here in Northern Utah. But I noticed that in some places kind of along the canyon, there were fallen trees that had kind of fallen into the river. And in those particular places, the river kind of got dammed up. It was, it was obstructed. And there was fallen trees. There was also big rocks, some of the rocks that had fallen down from some of the avalanches and some of the, just the movement that takes place each and every year had gotten in some of the river. And in those particular places where the river flowed, it was blocked. It was not flowing like it was supposed to. I lived in Wyoming for a little while. For those that know me and know some of our story, we were in Jackson Hole for a bit. And uh, I got to know the, the pesky little creature called the beaver. Anybody uh, watch these things? Uh, anybody know what beavers do? They love to create dams, right? They create these little homes at the mouth of the river, typically where there's fresh fish so that they can obviously eat and so forth. But they are problematic in that they create obstructions. They create blockages. They create places where the river is not able to flow the way that it's supposed to or designed to. And... In some ways, I think that obstructions, whether it be fallen trees or rocks or or pesky creatures like beavers can represent in our lives areas where the work of the Spirit isn't necessarily flowing the way that God intends it to. I wonder if there are any obstructions in your life that the Lord wants to highlight tonight so that this reality can take place, so that out of your heart can flow rivers of living water. Notice Jesus doesn't say a river, singular. He says rivers, plural. 
And when I think about rivers, plural, I think about a constant flow, a constant blast, a constant progression of water upon water upon water. And we know that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So what might that look like for us if we had the courage to deal with our obstructions? Tonight, I want to talk to you about what it means to deal with some of these stoppages and how to unblock your rivers, how to let the river flow again in your life. My prayer for this church, and for those of you that have been journeying with us for a while, and those of you watching online, thanks so much for doing that, listening to this message online. My prayer for this church is that we would be the kind of people that would take great pride in being led of the Spirit, and being empowered by the Spirit, and being drawn by the Spirit. Jesus says that this is the reality for every person who believes in him. So if you've put your faith in Jesus, you qualify for this tonight. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your current state is. You qualify for this. So I just want to encourage you. My prayer for you for this church is that you would be encouraged that this stuff is not out of hand, out of reach, that this is the kind of reality that Jesus greets you with each and every day of your life. Do you guys believe that tonight? I wonder if I'm talking to anybody that believes that tonight. So I believe that Jesus's words weren't just written for them, but they're written to us. And it's an invitation for us today. So let's talk a little bit about how to unobstruct the work of the spirit or how to deal with these blockages, these dams, these obstructions that fall into our hearts and that tend to entangle us and ensnare us. I want to look at three things specifically tonight just three. There are probably many that we could look at, but I'm going to focus on what, I, what I'm calling the big three. These are the three primary things that all of us as human beings on the face of the earth tend to wrestle with. Are you with me tonight? Yeah. Let's start with the first one. Here it is. Pride. Pride. Pride is a killer. Pride is probably the number one thing that will obstruct the work or the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life. In the scriptures, pride is often likened to a trap, to a pit, to a snare, to a deceiver, to a destroyer, and even a plague. For this reason, we're warned of it over and over again. Just listen to what the Bible says about it here in Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. How about Proverbs 16, verse 18? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. How about Proverbs 21, verse 4? This points out that haughty eyes, go ahead and throw it up there. Next slide. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. Or how about our good old friend Obadiah? Obadiah chapter 1, verse 3. You know, we don't, we don't really hear a lot from Obadiah these days. I've noticed as a preacher, no one's preaching on Obadiah lately, but let's give Obadiah a little bit of love today. You know what I'm saying? All right. Here's what Obadiah the prophet says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling places, in your mansions and fancy houses, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Who will bring me down to the ground? Let's be honest. Pride is destructive. It's a killer. And it leads to only one place, only one destination. Are you ready for it? Destruction. Pride destroys relationships, it destroys lives, it destroys marriages, it destroys the world. Have you ever seen pride wreck a good thing in your life or in the lives of somebody that you care about? I know I have. I've seen the lives of many a good man or woman 
torn down because of pride. I've seen what was once a thriving business now struggle due to people who began to get a little too prideful and believe their own press. Uh, I've seen great churches that were once thriving then close their doors. What happened? Pride came in. Pride came in and then disgrace. But I want to ask us personally, how about you personally? Have you experienced the effects of this in your life? Have you ever missed out on a promotion or an opportunity because you got a little prideful about your own talents or maybe your own abilities? What does Paul say in Romans 12? Here's what he says. Put it up there. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I, Paul, the apostle to the church, say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with what? Sober judgment or right judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you, to you. Which brings us to the remedy for pride. What's, what's the remedy for pride? It's humility. It's having a humble heart. That's the cure. And we see it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Here's what Peter reminds us of. He says, likewise, you who are younger, all right, so that's probably most of us in the room who are under the age of 80, okay? You who are younger, be subject to the elders, those that are on their way out, and clothe yourselves, I'm just kidding, by the way, clothe yourselves, all of you, with what? With humility, with humility. He doesn't say clothe yourselves with influence. He doesn't say clothe yourselves with leadership. He doesn't say clothe yourselves with ability. He doesn't say clothe yourself with confidence. But aren't all those things kind of the things that we celebrate and hallmark in our culture? Oh, you bet, you better believe it. Yeah, you bet we do. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. For God opposes the proud, but gives what? Grace to the humble. I don't know about you guys, but the last thing any one of us needs is the God of the universe, the God of the, the cosmos, the heavens and the earth, opposing us because we're too proud to bow. We're too proud to recognize that we need him. We're too proud. And as a result, we get resisted. We get opposed. But... For those that clothe themselves with humility, what do they get? More grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Now, I recognize grace is unmerited, undeserved favor from the Lord. But right here, it says that God gives grace to the humble. There's something attractive about a humble heart, about somebody who has learned the art of walking in humility. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody today that has learned the art of clothing themselves with humility. Humidity, not humidity, with humility. There we go. Although it does feel a little warm in here, right? Maybe. This isn't what the spirit of the age wants us to do, in case you haven't figured it out. It wants us to show up and it wants us to show off, right? Show up and show off. Uh, you know, a lot of times when I, when I watch uh, sports right now, it's the NBA playoffs for those of you that like basketball. I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I do like to watch the playoffs and the championship it tends to get a little more exciting around that time. But one of the things that I, I always look for in, in the players that are playing is whether or not they have clothed themselves with humility or whether or not they're making it all about them. And a lot of times what drives me crazy is when I see somebody make a great shot and then they, they run off and they start pointing at the name on the back of their jersey. You guys see this? Where they're like, yep, it's all about me, baby. I make the three-pointer every time, right? And what are they doing? They're calling attention to themselves. They're showing up. They're showing off. They're really 
boasting in their own pride, in their own ability, in their own works. And if we're not careful, we can give in to that, each and every one of us, subtly at first, and then more demonstrably later on. You see, the system of the world is built on this, striving, demonstrating, convincing, persuading, uh, proving our worth and our worthiness to others. Hey, everybody, look how worthy I am. Look how awesome I am. It's about a flashy, attention-grabbing, headline-type life. And what we're doing when we give into pride is we're, we're building our own kingdoms against the kingdom of our God. And can I just give you a little word of wisdom for somebody who's been following Jesus for close to 30-something years now? It ain't going to work out too well for you. It ain't going to work out too well. The humble, on the other hand, these are those that hide themselves in the goodness and worthiness of the Lamb, of the Lord, of the one we were just singing about. Worthy you were, worthy you are, worthy you will be forever, Yahweh. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody tonight that has learned how to hide themselves in the worthiness of our God, who recognizes that God wants to give grace to those that clothe themselves with humility. Amen? Amen? So church, if we want to see the work of the Spirit flowing in us and through us in this next season that we're stepping into, we've got to embrace a life of humility. And this is countercultural. It is. There's actually something kind of counter countercultural about those that are humble. Have you ever been, have you ever noticed that sometimes the most confident people in the room are not always the loudest? right? Sometimes those that have the most wealth aren't the ones that are flaunting it. It's typically the ones that don't, that are actually wrestling with their own insecurity, with their own striving, with their own identity issues, that are trying to convince everybody by play acting and putting on masks that they've got it all together. But what if we could be courageous enough to say, you know what? I don't got it all together. I'm a work in progress. Any, any works in progress that I'm talking to tonight? Anybody who doesn't have it all together? Yeah. Your pastor doesn't have it all together, you guys. And the worst thing that we can do is put people on pedestals and make it all about man. And when we do that, guess what? It's going to fail. It's going to fall. It, it ain't going to work out too well. So we got to deal with our pride. We got to deal with it each and every day. And number two, the second obstruction I want to talk to you about that comes against the work or the flow of God in your life is unbelief. It's unbelief. Unbelief is deadly. Now, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is wrestling with or having questions about the reality that you're faced with. Unbelief is making a willing agreement not to believe. You guys tracking with me? You see the difference? Doubt is saying, I may believe, but I've got some questions and maybe some unanswered questions that I, I want to wrestle with and through. And I guess what? God's okay with that. Bring him your questions. Wrestle. He's not afraid to wrestle. Just ask Jacob. <laughs> But if you wrestle with God, prepare to be walking with a little bit of a limp afterwards. I'm just going to warn you, okay? It comes with a disclaimer. But he's not afraid to wrestle with you. He's not afraid for you to, 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 to struggle through what you're, you're concerned about or even maybe some of your doubts. But unbelief is different because unbelief is you adapting or I should say adopting a posture where you're making an agreement mentally, spiritually, maybe even physically or emotionally not to believe. Here's how it creeps up on us in statements like, I can't believe it, or God would never do this, or here's the big one, that's impossible. When we say these kinds of things, we're telling ourselves, we're, we're coming into an agreement that we're making willingly with unbelief. And here's, here's the byproduct of unbelief. 
It's disappointment and despair. It's disappointment and despair. Disappointment happens when we don't get the outcome that we maybe hope for. Oftentimes we pray, we don't see the results that we want or, or hope for, and we can become what? We can become disappointed. Some of you have prayed prayers. Some of you have prayed for, for loved ones, and you haven't had that prayer answered, and it's led you to a place of disappointment. But if we're not careful, disappointment can lead to unbelief. The other factor that we see that's kind of a byproduct of this is despair. And despair happens when we lose faith, hear me on this, when we lose faith that we could ever have what we hope for again. And this happens when we make an agreement that all hope is lost. So, you know, like why bother, right? What's the point? And when you find yourself slipping into that, be careful, be careful because you're on a slippery slope to deconstructing your life and your faith in the image of yourself and in the image of your disappointment, in the image of your experience. And can I tell you, anytime we go through something in life, we may not always understand the why, but can I tell you, be careful if you begin to reshape God or your belief system in light of what you've gone through. What we can trust as the people of God is his eternal word. We can go to this and we can open it up and we can see people like David who in Psalm 13 prayed things like, God, how long will I struggle? How long will I go through this? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you be silent? Here's a man, an emotional man. Here's a man who knew how to be honest before God, who knew how to struggle well, who was, who was content to say, God, I don't understand why this is happening to me. But notice at the end of the psalm, he says, but I will trust in your unfailing love. What's dangerous is if we embrace the first part and not the second part of the psalm. There are many preachers out there right now that are trying to get you to embrace the first part and they leave you without hope because the truth is God always, God always, God always takes care of his people. And he will not forget you. He will not forsake you. And if you're going through a hard time, know this, he is with you. David would go on to write things like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I feel like I want to rap like Coolio every time I say that, Matt. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You guys know the song for you 90s kids out there. You know what I'm referencing that right now. But every time I say it, I feel like I want to bust out into a rhyme. Matt, you'll have to do that for us next time, okay? Who would like to see Matt rap? I think, I think we need to, yeah. I think we've got agreement. Let it be said. Let it be done. All right. But together, I like it. A little battle. Let's do it. But you know, what's interesting to me is like when David's walking through this valley, he's not denying the fact that he's in a valley, right? That he's in a, he's in a, a difficult place. And some of you have been through difficult places. And here's the cool thing about God. He doesn't diminish your experiences, you guys. He doesn't diminish the things that you walk through. But what he wants to do is remind you, help you see and have assurance that he's with you so that you don't get sucked into unbelief, okay? So we need to be careful about un unbelief. But let's be honest, there are many reasons why oftentimes things don't work out the way that we want them to. And I wanna tell you guys this today, and here it is, it's been on the screen for a while now, so thank you, Pro Presenter. But our faith is not in outcomes, it's in Jesus, okay? Our faith is not in getting what we want. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, okay, the Son of God himself. If you've placed your faith in an outcome, that's not faith. That's wishful thinking at best. Well, I hope this happens. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, 
Who, right? Who, who doesn't want to believe for the best? But if your faith is only tied to getting what you want or a particular outcome happening in your life and not Jesus, then it's not really faith. Jesus calls us to trust him, to put our faith in him and him alone. The truth is we don't always know what's best for us. So even sometimes when we pray, Paul would tell us later on in the New Testament that we don't always know how to pray as we ought to, right? We don't even, we don't even always comprehend what it is that we need. We think we know what we need, but the truth is we don't always know what we need, but God does. So what's the cure to unbelief? Well, here it is. It's faith. God is inviting us to be a people of faith, a people that put their trust in him regardless of the outcome. You guys remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Great story. All right, these three young Jewish boys are in Babylon. They're in captivity. They've been exiled along with Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar, who's the, the ruling king, has set up an image of himself that he wants everybody to bow down and worship. And here's what it says in Daniel chapter three, picking up with the story, verse 16. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I love just sort of their contempt, right? These three young kids are like, I, we have no need. What do, what do they say? We have no need to answer you in this matter. Like, be gone, Nebuchadnezzar. Could you imagine the boldness, right? It's amazing. If this be so, they continue in verse 17, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Say our God is able. Our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Next verse. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship. We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What was their response to old Neb here? Our God is able and he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow, and we're not going to serve your gods or worship your images. Can I tell you guys, what faith? What faith to stand despite the odds, despite what could have happened to them and did happen to them, God was able and willing to deliver them. That's the kind of people that God is calling us to be in these days. That's what he's looking for from his church in these days. A people that would be full of hope and faith and expectation that God is able and willing to do what he said he would do no matter what. So we've got to deal with our unbelief, you guys. We've got to deal with it with faith and we've got to trust God with the outcomes. Even if not, God, we're, we're in your hands. We trust you that much. I wonder if we would have the same kind of resolve. I wonder if we could adopt the same posture and spirit of faith in our day. Imagine what would happen. The third obstruction to the floor work of God in your life, and the final one I want to talk to you guys about tonight is this. And here's a crucial one. Put it up there. Number three, lies. 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 One of the ways that the devil, kind of like that pesky beaver that I was talking about, <laughs> One of the ways that he likes to come at us or, or, or stop the flow or, or slow the flow or even destroy the flow of the spirit in your life is through lies. It's through lies. Jesus said this about the devil in John chapter 8, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil speaking to the Pharisees, and your will is to do your father's desires. Yikes. 
He was a murderer, meaning the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Say, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Yes, the devil is real, okay? And he is a liar. In fact, Jesus says right here that he's the father of all lies, meaning that all he can impregnate the world with is lies. I know it's kind of a graphic image, but I want you to run with it a little bit tonight. All the devil can do is impregnate the world as a father with lies. That's, to get a little more graphic, the seed that he wants to spread. And it begs the question, if the devil is the father of all lies, then who's the mother? You ready for this? Your mind, if you willingly receive his seed, if you willingly receive his lies. Because guess what's going to happen? If you begin to believe the lies, you're going to give birth to lies. You're going to give birth to things that emanated and began in the heart of the evil one, in the heart of the murderous devil who's been doing nothing but lying from the beginning of time because there's absolutely no truth in him. If you believe the lie, you empower the liar. If you believe the lies or lie, you empower the liar and you give him the ability in your life to have influence over you, to actually have a stronghold in your life. Sometimes when I meet with believers who believe in the finished work of Jesus, I say, that's awesome, praise God. Jesus did defeat the devil. He did conquer him. He has taken care of your sin, but because you're still believing the lies of the enemy, he still has power and influence in your life. And it doesn't matter how much you love Jesus or sing songs about him on Sunday, you've got a stronghold in your heart that you need to deal with. And part of the way that we deal with that is by embracing truth. Right now, we are living in a day and age and in a culture where there's a battle for truth. Cultural and moral relativism is on the rise. It's bigger than it's ever been. Ever been. And you hear things like, well, you just do you. You know, you live your truth. So basically, we've now, we've now mitigated truth, objective truth, things that we can know and understand about reality and about God, to a subjective reality of our emotions and whatever we feel like for the day. And as a result, the enemy has come in, and he's very slippery, he's very sly, he's very sneaky. Like beavers, when they start to build a dam, they don't start with 20 logs or 20 uh, twigs or, or sticks they start with one little piece. And what do they do? Little by little, they just start building a little nest. They just kind of start stacking, start putting a little, one on top of the other. And it's like the, the devil, he comes in with just one little untruth. Maybe he's good with 99% truth, but one little lie, 1%. And you believe that 1%. And next thing you know, he's laid down a little, little fortress and he's starting to build it. And now he's crafting it. And now it's growing and growing and growing and growing. And what's happening? The water supply is getting cut off. It's choking the flow of the spirit. We don't know why our prayers aren't being answered. We don't know why we're not seeing the things that we believe for. We're then frustrated and discouraged and despair. And now we're deconstructing our faith and now we're spiraling out of control. And now we have what we have now today. And you've seen some of your own friends and some of your own family members go through this. Can I tell you, the work of the enemy is real and alive in our culture today. 
And we need to be a people that are willing to stand on the truth and confront lies with the truth. We know that a seed reproduces after its own kind. So if you allow the devil to sow the seeds of lies in your mind, you're going to continue to give birth to more lies and more untruth. When we build our lives on lies, it's like what Jesus said about the man who builds his house on sinking sand. When the winds come, and they always do, when the waves come crashing, and they always do, what happens to that house, right? It gets blown over. It gets demolished. And for some of us, COVID was sort of that wind and that wave experience coming in to test the foundations of our lives, to reveal to us if we'd been building our lives on truth and wisdom or on lies and fabrications or half-truths, things that are just kind of almost true enough, self-help-isms and, you know, things that just kind of sound right, but that actually aren't from the heart of God. I was talking with, I think it was Terrell this week, you know, we we're having a conversation over dinner and just... I was saying, you know, it's interesting to me that the devil will even exploit truth in your life. He did it with Jesus, right? Remember when Jesus went out into the desert and he was tempted by the evil one? He said things like, well, did God not say? Right? The devil knows the word, you guys. He knows it better than you. (laughs) And me. He'd been around for a long time. He's been studying human beings. C.S. Lewis talks about it. If you, if you want to get a really uh, great understanding on how the enemy works, go read the screw tape letters. It's a classic. It's awesome. But it'll help provide a little bit of a, a perspective or framework for what I'm saying. But he understands how we operate. And, and so here he is with Jesus out in the desert, and he's saying, well, did God not say? And does the word not say if you fall down and the angels won't care? He's, what is he doing? He's twisting the word of God. He's even, he'll even use truth against you. That's why it's so important that this stuff is ingrained in us, that we understand who we are in Christ Jesus so that our foundations and our roots go down deep. So when the waves and the wind come, we're not going to worry. We're not going to freak out. We might feel a little, a little rumble, a little earthquake. You guys remember that earthquake two years ago? But woke me right up out of my, my glass was shattered. But woke me right up out of my bed. I, I jumped up being a California kid. I was like, drop, stop, roll. Let's do this thing. Come on. Boom. I was ready to go. I was under the doorway. I had my kids under a table. I'm like, I got this. I was ready. But that's what happens. We feel this rumble. We're like, ah, what's going to happen? I'll tell you this. My house is still standing. It was built on a good foundation. Amen. Amen. Down the street, I saw some, some cracks and some foundations that weren't so great. Lived in Texas for a little while. If you know anything about Texas, the, the dirt's kind of made of clay. It's like soft clay. So people build these amazing houses, and then about 10 years later, they have to do all this foundation work because the house just starts to slowly sink. It's the craziest thing to watch, you guys, I'm telling you. And so it's so important. Hear me on this. It's so important that we get the right foundations. And our foundation has to be truth. It has to be the word of God. That, this is how we're going to combat the lies in our culture and in our lives with the word of God. The scripture tells us in Ephesians 6 that the word of God is like what? A sword. It's likened to a sword. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which means that we're called to use this offensively, not just defensively. For many of us as believers, we find ourselves always kind of playing defense, right? Like we're always attacked. Everything's always wrong. There's always a crisis. What do I do? But can I tell you that that's actually not where God wants you to remain forever. He wants you to get on the offensive. He wants you to be healed so that you can bring healing to others. He wants you to get set free so that you can bring freedom to others. He wants you to grab a hold of this and to use it like the weapon it is. To cut down strongholds. Amen. 
1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 through 8 reminds us that the word of God is like a stone of stumbling for those that don't believe and a rock of offense. Can I tell you, people are going to be offended by this. Met anybody lately that got a little offended with your Christian belief system or worldview? Come on, I run into people all the time. But we don't have to apologize for it. We don't have to apologize for Jesus. Because this is the word. He says, for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected, he's actually talking about Jesus here, has become the what? The cornerstone. He's the chief anchor. For those of you that understand building, he's the one that holds it all together, kind of sets everything the way it's supposed to. He's the foundation. But he's also a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And people stumble because they do what? They disobey the word as they were destined to do. They don't listen to this. They don't apply this. They walk away and they scoff and they allow pride and unbelief and the lies of the, of the evil one and the enemy to come in and to choke out what God wants to do in their life. Many are going to get tripped up on Jesus, but we don't have to be afraid to be people of the word. We have to be afraid to be people of truth. More than ever, it's going to be harder and harder for those of you that call yourselves Christians to not carry the label of bigot because you stand for something that the rest of the world does not. Embrace it. Be okay with it. You know why? Because our God is bigger, and this will outlast any cultural paradigm shift or pendulum swing that we're going to see and or endure. Okay? We don't have to apologize. We don't have to repackage. We don't have to try to, you know, like, excuse the, the, the weird parts about Jonah and the whale and the, the ark with all the animals. And, like, just, just let the word of God speak for itself. Let God defend his word, because guess what? He always will and he'll do a much better job than you and I will. Listen to what the book of Revelation, as we get ready to close, says about the word of God. And this is Jesus, okay? And, and they're speaking, in, and the, the writer, which is John, is speaking about Jesus. Here it is. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations, and he, meaning Jesus, will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. We don't typically sing these kinds of songs in churches, right? <laughs> the one who treads the winepress of the fury. And, and by the way, if you're a songwriter, like I'm commissioning you to write some more fury songs, okay? So get out there and do it. But here's the, here's the reality, you guys. And here's what I want to point out to us. Jesus's words are meant to be piercing, they're meant to cut, they're meant to sear, they're meant to heal, they're meant to, to pierce, even between, the Bible says, bone and marrow, right? They're meant to go deep. That's the point. When we try to, like, put a little disclaimer on or soften or, you know, like, we try to, like, make the, what's the old saying, go down, the cough, set, cough syrup go down easy with a little bit of sugar. We try to sugar it. We, oh, it's too salty. We got to sugar this thing. Well, how's that working out for us? For the last 20 years, we've built churches around a seeker-sensitive, sugary experience, and then we wonder why we're so anemic and weak the minute COVID-19 shows up and decimates everything. We wonder why our lives are falling apart, because we've been embracing sugar instead of salt and light, instead of substance. When I was a kid, I used to eat cornflakes, and... Um, I remember a time before we didn't have money for the Frosted Flakes, okay? And I had to add sugar. Anybody else have to do that? 
Oh yeah, you know you did. And if your mom wasn't looking, what did you do? You heaped it on good. Oh man, I used to heap on so I loved Frosted Flakes, right? I love sugary cereal. I'm all about the Cocoa Krispies. I'm all about the Captain Crunch. Come on, I'm talking them Lucky Charms, the old Cookie Crisp, not the new Cookie Crisp, the old Cookie Crisp. All right, I'm all about that sugary cereal. And just like confession time, since this is your pastor, like showing you his vices and warts. Every spring break or Christmas break, I let the kids go to the store and I'm like, just pick out as many sugary cereals as you want. And for two weeks, we're just going to go to town. We're just going to go crazy. And my wife, bless her heart, she lets me do it. She gives me a little bit of leash. She allows it. And then we all pass out from sugar, and it's glorious and beautiful. Okay? But if all I ever did was let my kids eat sugary cereal, guess what? It wouldn't be good for them. That's why we got to be people of the word. we got to be people that, that also, sorry, vegans, embrace some meat. <laughs> that embrace some meat that, that can devour this thing, right, with our canine teeth, right? With, with, the, with the, the way that God intended us to operate. And it can't just be sugar all the time. It can't just be stuff that we want to hear. Sometimes we got to let God come in and do some corrective surgery and deal with some things and confront us and rebuke us and challenge us. And that's what this is designed to do. Amen? Amen. Now, here's what Pastor Jason's not saying. I'm not saying that we're called to weaponize this against people. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. We don't use this to beat people up. Right? You guys remember the old term Bible thumpers? You know why where people were being accused of that? Because people were using this to attack people rather than to encourage and lift up and build people up. The word of God is able to correct people on its own. It's able to discern and divide and conquer and heal right where it needs to without our help to make it effective because it's eternal and it's true. But we are called to weaponize this thing against the schemes of the evil one. Because our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and rulers in dark heavenly places, places of wickedness, where the enemy wants to come in and bring lies and stoke unbelief and help us become people of pride. So let me ask you, how are you using your sword? How are you embracing this? Are you using it to attack pride and fear and unbelief? Do you use it to cut down those lies? If not, I believe today is your day to start. Amen? Amen. Ultimately, God wants us to unblock our rivers so that his rivers can flow. So that the rivers can flow. So that they can flow. So they can flow. So they can flow. As I said at the beginning of this message, that's my heart for this church. That when people would come in here and that as we go out, that people would experience the wild, white water rushing, raging wild river of God flowing out of our hearts to do what? To bring refreshment to our city, to bring refreshment to our families, to bring refreshment to our neighbors, to bring refreshment to our souls. You guys receive that tonight? Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.